0: Yes, I agree. I totally agree. Should be, we should be live. It's live. Okay. Okay. We got to get started here. It is uh, it's a Thursday night. It's time for Bible class. Okay. Here we go. Um, we're going to start with Psalm 119, verse 169, the last letter in Hebrew, Aleph Bet, which is Tav. Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Let my supplication come before you. Deliver me according to your word. My lips shall utter praise, for you teach me your statutes. My tongue shall speak of your word, for all your commandments are righteousness. Let your hand become my help, for I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Let my soul live, and it shall praise you. And let your judgments help me. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant for I do not forget your commandments. um oh, I see I forgot something. I'll be right back. Uh, I gotta reach down here. apologies. I must have left this in the uh folder. I did, and uh let's see here we have uh uh Burke is still uh having problems with his bone on bone. He won't be here again tonight. he's in real pain, and so uh. Uh, we want to have him in prayer, and then, um, I boy, I didn't bring in the list that I wrote for prayer requests, so, uh, well, the Lord knows who they are. Um, let's see here. We have an answered prayer, and so uh, anybody that's listening online that knows and has been praying about this particular issue, we have a prayer that's been answered. Sergio and Rhoda are in America, as you know, and they, about five years ago, left America to go back to Israel. And when they went back to Israel, the first thing they did before they got off the airplane was start filling out a green card application. And this afternoon, it was approved. So they will be moving back to America permanently. And uh, so the people that prayed, your prayers have been heard and they will be here. They'll continue doing Sergio and Rhoda videos because they'll go back annually to visit the family and and film videos and then he can do them while they're here. But uh, we're very happy about this. Sergio and Rhoda in America. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> wonderful stuff. So, and uh, now that you bring that up, they uh, did do a video that you may or may not be aware of as uh, they did a video here in the United States. So uh, if you haven't watched the most recent video, just go to Sir Joan Rhoda's channel and they did a great job on this video. Uh, Rhoda did a lot of digging. And uh so uh yeah, it was it was a good good adventure. And so um uh, if you haven't seen it, make sure to you stop and watch that one. And um we have we'll read this very quickly, this day in Christian history, which today is the anybody, the uh seventeenth, thank you. And uh December 17th, we'll read this and Queen Mary perceived him as a serious threat to her reign. In 1553, England's newly enthroned Queen Mary I, a committed Roman Catholic, wanted to impress her new subjects with her fair-mindedness. She called a convocation of the highest religious leaders in the Church of England to discuss its merits versus those of the Catholic Church. One of the Protestant leaders in attendance was John Philpott, john philpot was only a boy when king henry the eighth eager to break his marriage vows broke with the catholic church and made himself head of the church of england many continued to practice catholicism but the reformation also took hold and philpot grew up a protestant at oxford he studied law and languages later he was appointed archdeacon of winchester and became a leading apologist for the protestants at queen mary's convocation in 1553 Philpot and a few others boldly spoke in defense of the gospel. They were tolerated, but ignored. Several months later, Philpot published a book that reported vast portions of the closed-door discussions, making it clear that the convocation had simply been a political stratagem of the crown. Shortly thereafter, Philpot was arrested, as Queen Mary perceived him as a serious threat to her reign. He was examined by bishops who Mary hoped would trap him into heresy, or even convince him to turn his heart and pen to the Catholic faith. Philpott admitted that he wrote the book, but that admission was not enough to condemn him. Even the Catholics had to agree that he had faithfully reported the proceedings. At his 13th and final examination, the Lord Mayor brought a knife and a pig's bladder full of powder to try to seal their case. He said, My Lord, this man is roasted pig brought unto him, and this knife was put secretly between the skin and flesh thereof, and so it was sent to him in prison. Also, this powder was sent to him which, when I did see, I thought it had been gunpowder and put fire to it, but it would not burn. Then I took it for poison and gave it to a dog, but it was not so. Then I took a little water and it made as fair ink as I would ever write withal. Therefore, my lord, you see what a naughty fellow this is. The incident had been fabricated by Queen Mary's supporters to condemn Philpot. It succeeded, and he was convicted of heresy and sentenced to burn at the stake. Well, I must be content, he said, for it is God's appointment. I will never recant that which I have spoken for it is most certain truth, and I will seal it with my blood at supper-time on December seventeenth of fifteen fifty five The message was sent informing Philpot that he would be burned the following day. He said simply, "I'm ready. God grant me strength and a joyful resurrection. The next morning, Philpot kissed the stake marked for his burning. Shall I disdain to suffer at this stake? He asked the crowd. Seeing my Redeemer did not refuse to suffer vile death upon the cross for me. Philpot recited Psalms 106, 107, and 108. They're long psalms, by the way. Uh, the fire was lit, and he was with his Redeemer. Queen Mary's convocation was an effort to convert the Protestant leaders to Catholicism. When that was unsuccessful, she had them burned at the stake. It was similar to the experience of Jesus. When his opponents realized they could never win an argument with him, they determined to kill him. Why do you think people react this way? They ask. And then from John 8:37, some of you are trying to kill me because my message does not find a place in your hearts. So there you go. I uh, every day I feel a little sure that we're getting close to that point in this country ourselves. Um, I was talking to somebody about it about two hours ago before I came here, and uh, you know uh, they were talking about maybe moving to Australia, thinking that that would be a place where uh, they would be free to continue to exercise their freedoms. And I said, it's worse there now than it is here. I mean, Canada and uh, Australia are part of the uh, British crown and uh, they're just, they're going down the tubes as quickly as they can be. But we have probably, it's still not 100% certain, but we have a change coming in this nation in the next 35 or 40 days. And if that happens, and of course, the uh, person that's been selected to fill that position punches his ticket, which is not unlikely, Uh, In fact, it'll probably be that it'll be removed even before that. Um, We'll have the single most liberal senator in the United States Senate leading this nation. And this person has already promised to, by executive order, take away gun rights. And at that point, this nation will devolve into a real sad situation. Or it'll be over very quickly because there are a lot of gun rights advocates in this nation. But I just want people to be aware that this nation may be heading into very different times in the and it may be exactly what we're facing in what i just read england 1555 so be aware of that don't be scared because as philpot said you know i'm going to be granted the resurrection there is nothing in this world that can harm us except this body of flesh which as far as i can am concerned can be done with today if i was the one in jim's place when he fell oh we got to pray for jim that was it um Uh, if I was the one that was in Jim's place, I would hope that my head would have cracked along with my ribs, and that would have been it, because uh, uh, I'm I'm just so ready to be out of here, other than on Monday when I type the sermons, and on Sunday when I give the sermons. That is really the joy of my life. I love my wife. I love my children. I love, you know, the things we do in this life, but they're temporary. They're fading, and they're passing, but the Word of God stands forever, and so I just, I so enjoy searching the Word and uh, preparing something, and then Almost as much, not as much, but almost as much, I enjoy telling you the things that were prepared on Monday. And uh, as I said uh, a while ago, uh, Sergio and Rhoda, I often will call them and uh, you know, we'll talk about a single verse or even just a couple words in a verse for an hour. They're in Nazareth and I'm here and we're trying to uh, resolve an issue. And until it's resolved, I am not going to put down an opinion on God's word. It's either going to be, this could mean, this could mean, and that's all I'll say, or this means and only if we have resolved that problem, because I'm not going to ever treat this word with anything less than the highest respect. But we'll go to prayer, and then we'll get started. Heavenly Father, glorious Heavenly Father, we're so thankful to you for what you brought about in our lives just within the past couple hours of bringing about the uh, approval of this green card and the fact that they can live here and uh, enjoy their time here and be blessed here in the U.S. and uh, to uh, just enjoy the freedoms that hopefully will continue even into the future. But we leave those things in your hand. And Lord, we certainly pray for Jim, who is really struggling, but he's getting better. He looked good yesterday, Lord, and we're thankful for that. And we also certainly pray for uh, Burke, who is continuing to have a painful situation, and we'll pray that uh, the bones will finally just rub down enough where they don't hurt anymore, whatever happens in that type of situation. But until then, we do lift him up. And Lord, we thank you for the chance to meet in this class. And you know my petition each week is that if there's something that's said that is incorrect, that is not in accord with what you would intend with your word, that you would certainly uh, bring that to the attention of the people so that it would not become a part of their bad doctrine. But we would pray that that would not be the case and that we would be handling this word properly and with care. Either way, Lord, we just thank you for the chance to meet in the fellowship in your wonderful presence. How good it is. How wonderful it is. And we thank you and we praise you. In the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Okay, here we go. We got, um, uh, we're in Galatians. Once again, if I had to pick a favorite book in the Bible, it would be the book of Galatians. But I don't want to put any book above any other, but it is it is such a marvel and it's such a treasure. The theme has been and it continues to be legalism and reinserting the law where the law does not belong. And uh, we're starting uh, this week, starting verse 5, uh, 5. So if you've got a Bible, if you don't, we got plenty of Bibles laying around, but uh, we're in uh, Galatians 5, verse 5, and I'll start back at the beginning of the chapter so that you can uh, get the taste of what's going on, and I'll remind folks that maybe not have not been here before. There's a couple that I use the commentary that I typed. Um, I g- typed a commentary on the whole New Testament years ago, and then I retyped it, and I'm in Revelation doing that right now. When I say the New Testament, I'm talking about the epistles from Romans through Revelation. And Revelation will be done in a while. But this is from my uh, written commentary on Galatians. And then we just read it and we discuss other things as well. Um, But uh, 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 that way I can stick to what I've had a chance to think through and not just do things off the top of my head. Because that's dangerous waters. When you uh, have a Bible study and you haven't got something prepared, it's always dangerous waters. So... um, Uh, 5 verse 1, stand fast therefore in the liberty by which Christ has made us free and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. The word yoke is used by Jesus concerning the law. You know, he says, uh, take my yoke. It's my uh, burden is easy and my yoke is light. And uh, then we have the yoke referred to by Peter, maybe in Acts 2. I can't remember, but definitely in Acts 15, um, Paul calls it a yoke of bondage several times in the New Testament. Speaking specifically of the law of Moses, do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Once again, the picture is, uh, if you remember the sermon from a couple, maybe a month or so ago, it was entitled From Bondage to Bondage. They were redeemed out of Egypt. They were in the bondage of Egypt, and they ended up getting into a greater bondage by being under the law of Moses. But it served a purpose, and to this day it serves a purpose. Um, I said it in a sermon recently, and I will say it again. This is the Christmas sermon coming this week. But uh, uh, the uh, main purpose of the law is given by Paul. He gives them in Galatians and a couple other places, Romans. And he says, it's to show how utterly sinful sin is. It's to be a tutor to lead us to Christ, etc. But one of the uh, purposes of the law of Moses is specifically, and I'm telling you this now so that you'll remember, it'll stick on Sunday because, you know, you get a lot of information in sermons. But uh, one of the main purposes is to be a cohesive binding tie to the people of Israel. They were given the signs, they were given the law, and had that not been the case, they would have been dispersed around the world, just like all other nations, and they would have been gone. But because of the bind, the covenant of circumcision, the rite of uh, Sabbath, the sign of Sabbath, and then the law of Moses, those things have bound them as a people, and it's protected them in unity in order to bring in the coming Messiah and then to extend beyond that. Because even now, with the, annul- the law annulled in Christ's blood, they have not yet received that. And so it's still binding on them. They are still under the law of Moses. They're under the dispensation of law, while the rest of the world is under the dispensation of grace, um, well, those that have come to Christ, and any Jews that have come to Christ. But um, Daniel nine twenty four through 27, gives us the timeline. It tells us that Israel will... Be Under this law, they're granted seven more years of it actively being worked out in Israel. That means they'll have a temple, they'll have sacrifices, they'll have those things. And Daniel, in chapter 9, gives us six reasons for that. Three of those reasons are positive, three of them are negative. They're, you know, to bring in righteousness, to uh, sanctify the most holy, etc. And then three negative things as well. Um, one of them, uh, positives, is to seal up prophecy. So you've got these six things that will be the purpose of their time under the law and that is the contents of the book of revelation from revelation 4 verse 1 until revelation 19 verse 10 that is describing the events of the world while israel is under that law as they're being brought into their need for christ and as it says in the book of zechariah two-thirds of them two-thirds of them are going to die during this period okay it's a very sad time on earth but in the end they will call out They will be saved Zechariah says it that they'll mourn for the one that they had pierced and also Jesus says it that they will call out and uh, He's not returning until they say blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord But this is the yoke of the law that is currently on the people of Israel that have not yet come to Christ And it is the yoke which Paul is trying desperately to get the people to understand don't go back under this yoke You have freedom in Christ and live in that freedom. So that's the, the context then he says, indeed I Paul say to you that if you become circumcised speaking to the Gentiles Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he that person is a debtor to keep the whole law. If you're going to put yourself back under the law of Moses, it's not one precept, it's the entire law. Because I was talking to my friend here uh Jared a little while ago that it, James says if you violate one precept, you violated the entire law. The law is broken. It's a codified whole so you can't just say i'm going to observe this part and i'm not going to observe this part you must observe the entire law of moses if you are going to put yourself back under that yoke okay and uh, one of the questions that is often asked to of me is what if i want to observe a Sabbath? what if i want to not eat pork what if i want to do this or that that's fine you are you have total freedom in christ to do whatever you desire to do if you want to observe your worship on monday that's fine if you don't want to worship any day at all paul says then you have freedom to do that you do it to the lord the difference is when somebody imposes that on you as a precept you need to observe the Sabbath. you must observe the feasts of the lord etc etc if that is imposed on you and you accept that the premise is that you are now bound to the entire law because what you've done is you've set aside the grace of god in christ he fulfilled the law he embodies that law the ten commandments were which represent the law of moses were placed in the ark of the covenant and then they were covered with the mercy seat That's a picture of Christ's body. He is the embodiment of the law, and he is the place of propitiation. The blood was sprinkled on that mercy seat. Well, if you take away that place of propitiation, that place of mercy, all you have left is law, and you are bound to that law. You've lost your propitiation, and you are now bound to the law. As we said last week, that does not mean that you will lose your salvation if you are a saved believer. But you will lose every reward that you could get in Christ because you were reimposing the law which Christ has fulfilled. You cannot earn anything beyond that point, and you will lose, you will gain no rewards. But if you are not saved, you will never be saved. Hello, Miss Garrett. It's good to have you here. Um you're just almost on time today. Very good to have you here. Um so uh we'll go on. I testify again. This is him reiterating what he said to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. If you want to be under the law with circumcision you're a debtor to the entire law it's your choice you have freedom in Christ you can be uh, under the law and be separated from Christ you have become as he says estranged from Christ These are believers these are people that are believers they have become estranged from Christ it does not mean they've lost their salvation it means that they have now put themselves back under the yoke of bondage and they are obligated to that yoke of bondage and they cannot be pleasing to the Lord in that state okay you who attempt to be justified by the law because they've already received the holy spirit they'd already believed simply by hearing the word of truth from paul and then uh he says that um uh, you were trying to be justified by the law when they were already justified by what christ did at the cross and so he says you have fallen from grace you're no longer under grace you are now under the law and everything you do from this point on is now the yoke of bondage on you That does not mean, as I said also last week, that they will remain under that. If they give up their desire to be, you know, observing the feasts and doing these things because some guy came and told them, you have to do these things, then they will be brought back into the covenant of grace. But as long as they are living out the law, they will be living under the entire law. They will get no rewards for it. So it's it's our personal choice. This is, as I say, week after week. This is the Hebrew Roots movement of today is who Paul is refuting back then. They called them the Judaizers. They were the Pharisees and the, the priests. They had come in and they had said, well, you need to do these things in order to be saved. And we went back into Acts 15 where that was explicitly stated. You must observe the law of Moses in order to be saved when they were already saved. So this is Paul reminding them of these things, okay? So verse five, this is where we're starting to die. today. Excuse me. For we... Through this Spirit, they've already gotten the Spirit, they've already been regenerated by Christ, they've already been sealed with the Spirit. Ephesians 1 13 and 14, when you believe you were sealed with the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee, the Eravon, the promise. Okay, the Eravon is the word that comes right out of the Hebrew. Very rare in the Bible. Eravon, which is a pledge or a guarantee, it's used three times only in the book of anybody remember the story? Erevon, where was it recorded? One of the most important stories in all of the book of Genesis, chapter 38, Judah and Tamar. And remember, he went in to sleep with her and she said, well, you give me a, a pledge. And he says, I'll give you a goat. And he, she, he said, but I don't have one now. He said, she said, well, then give me your staff, your cord and your signet. And that will be the Erevon. And that is picturing a deposit, the Holy Spirit. And it's used... Once again, three times only in the New Testament. In the Greek, Arabon, it's pronounced a little differently, but it's the same word. It's brought directly out of the Hebrew. Paul uses it three times, and the context is always the sealing of the Holy Spirit. Okay, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, and two other times, the sealing of the Holy Spirit as a deposit, a guarantee. And so as I'd like to remind you that if you're sealed with the Holy Spirit by God, okay, and then he were to take that back for any reason at all, Meaning you can lose your salvation, then that means that God has made a mistake, which is impossible. God cannot make a mistake. Secondly, that if He takes it back, then it was not a guarantee, but it's called a guarantee right there in the Bible. The Holy Spirit inspired Paul to call it a guarantee, which means that God is breaking his guarantee, which means he's unreliable, that cannot happen. And thirdly, it means that um, uh, I can't remember right now, but there's the three points that I always bring up is that God cannot err. God does not uh lie. lie he does not renege on his promises mm-hmm. and so salvation is eternal and i always bring in 2 corinthians 5:19 it says that in christ you're not being imputed your sins you're not being having your sins counted against you and if that's the case then how can you lose your salvation right because if you're not being imputed sin and the imputation of sin is what causes the spiritual disconnect in christ then obviously you can never lose your salvation. Okay, Uh, God has made this very simple, but we are the ones that tend to want to twist these things for whatever reason. And I will usually highlight the churches that do this, the Church of God. You've got the Wesleyan-Arminian tradition, Uh, the Methodists, they say that you can lose your salvation. And there's always a very good reason for them saying that is because if they can control your salvation They control you, and they will continue to get your tithes and offerings, and they'll continue to get obedient people showing up on church every single Sunday because they know that the pastor knows that they can lose their salvation, and he's the one that will direct that. So it's bondage. That's all it is, okay? That's all it is. So here we go. Read that again. For we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by works. No, by faith by faith. The hope of righteousness by faith. Adam's display of faith in Genesis 3. Abraham's display of faith in Genesis 15. David's display of faith. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute sin. On and on and on. The people of faith. uh, Who is it? Habakkuk. What did he say about it? The just shall live by his works, right? No. The just shall live by his faith. And Paul repeats that in the New Testament. Okay, or the righteous shall live by his faith. Okay, the verse, the first words explain Paul's intent for the rest of the verse. I'm sorry, the first word does. The word for, in the Greek it is gar. For is setting this verse in contrast to the previous verse. Side by side they read, You who attempt to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. This is in contrast to we, through the Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. You've got a choice. You've got law, you've got grace. And the two are impossible to work together. It is impossible. If you're under law, you are not under grace. If you're under grace, you cannot earn what you have received. It's impossible to mix the two. The law and grace do not mix. And that was the lesson of Israel for all those almost 1,500 years of their history. The law and grace do not mix. Okay? So, those who look to justification through the law by their own efforts are contrasted to those who trust in the operation of the Spirit for justification. The first is of human origin, the second is of divine origin, and that does not mean that the law is of human origin, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the attempt to be justified by the law is of human origin. The law is divine, it is good, as Paul says, it is perfect in everything that it portrays, everything that it asks of you, it is perfect in all ways, but it is incomplete. And that's the problem that Hebrew Roots Movement people do not understand. They say, if God's law is perfect, then I must obey God's law. No, because the law is incomplete. It is not a complete revelation of God in Christ. It is only a partial revelation. I am going to send my son into the world. He's going to be born without sin. He is going to live under this law that you have not been able to live by, and he will fulfill it for you. He will demonstrate the righteousness of my righteousness in himself, the righteousness of God in Christ. He will fulfill that law. He didn't say that He did not come to destroy the law because that wasn't his intent. He came to fulfill it. He fulfilled the law, and then the law was annulled. It was made obsolete. It was set aside. It was nailed to the cross. So this is what God did in Christ for us because we can't do it ourselves. And that's why God gave them the provision of the Day of Atonement year after year after year is to show them how desperately they needed something else. Because as it says in the book of Hebrews, if the blood of bulls and goats could take away sin, which they can't, then those sacrifices would have stopped. They would have done one sacrifice for their sin and it wouldn't have been over. And I'll say it on Sunday so that you can sleep through this sentence of the uh, sermon, is that (laughs) if you sinned under the law of Moses and you required, say, a goat for that particular sin, right, and you went back to your tent and you did it again, guess what you'd have to do 10 minutes later? You'd have to go back and take another goat. All right, the law could not take away the sin problem. It only temporarily covered it until you screwed up again. And because we're fallible humans and we do that continuously in our lives, you wonder why Martin Luther was such a basket case running down the hallway to the guy in his uh, monastery and saying, I had a bad thought. And he says, well, go say 27 Hail Marys and go back and, <laughs> you know, and then five minutes later, he was come. He drove this guy crazy. Mm-hmm. He literally drove him crazy. I I, I had a bad thought about my, my mother when I was young and, you know, go, go say your Hail Marys or go down to Rome and walk on your knees for a couple of years, you know, whatever. He would tell him things to do and nothing took care of the burden of his soul. And then finally somebody said, "Well, maybe this will help you." And they took this and they handed it to him. And he read it, and he got to Romans and it says the just shall live by his faith. And he said, "What have I been doing? What have I been doing with my whole life and even after being saved, he still was such a basket case. He was one of these neurotic kind of guys that one day his wife came out and she was dressed all in black and he said she says, "Time for breakfast." He says, "What are you doing?" She said, "Well, I'm with a mourner who's Dead all the time. I might as well, you know, and she changed his attitude towards that because the guy was just, but finally he realized that my life has to match the change that has happened in me. And so he it took him a while. He was one of these people like that. And we're all like that to some extent. We screw up before the Lord and we think, How can God love me? But he does. He has saved us. Okay. So if you look at the parallel though, of what happened with Hezekiah, what happened to Hezekiah? He's there. They're cleaning out the temple, and somebody finds what—the book of the law—and mm-hmm. they took it to him, and he tore his garments, and he says, "We're under big trouble by the Lord." And they went to who the prophetess, is Holda, I think, and or uh, whoever, and and they uh uh, he said destruction's going to come on Israel because of this. Was it Josiah or was it Hezekiah? Josiah. Thank you. You know here I. Right off the top of my head, I hate doing that because then I realized I said the wrong name. Anyway, so um, his heart was tender before the Lord, but it took the word being presented to him. Kind of in an a, 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 off-the-hand, matter-of-fact kind of way, too. And it's exactly what happened with the Reformation in Martin Luther. The people had gotten so far away from the word that they didn't even know that the word existed. And so somebody just handed him a book and said, here, try this, right? God, it, it says in the book of Ecclesiastes, that which has been will be again. That which has been done will be done again, and there is nothing new under the sun. If it works, use it again, and that's what the Lord does. It worked, and so he's going to use it again. All right, Um, those who looked at justification through the law by their own efforts are contrasted to those who trust in the operation of the Spirit for justification. The first is of human origin. The second is of divine origin. The first results in falling from grace, meaning the law. Remember, Adam was in the garden. He hadn't done anything wrong yet, but he had been given the first words ever uttered to the man were law. And what happened? He's in living in a, a, a state of grace. He's living in paradise. And all he has is just one law and he can't abide by one law. And he falls, okay? So the first results in falling from grace. The second results in the hope of righteousness by faith. As I was talking to Jared earlier, Abraham, I'm sorry, Adam did one thing. After he was cursed, the very next verse, after he was cursed, says what? Does anybody remember? Very first verse, after he was cursed, it says he named his wife Eve, Chava, life, and God imputed it to him for righteousness. That was his act of faith, because they had just heard that the Messiah was coming, Genesis three fifteen. And in one verse, it says he demonstrated faith, and the Lord clothed him. That's what we're going to talk about in our Sunday sermon. So I'm telling you this now so that when you hear it, you'll know what I'm talking about because I know I I get going really quickly in sermons. But anyway, um, the first displays a lack of trust in Christ, the law. There's no trust in Christ. If I am in a church and somebody comes in and says, well, you need to be observing the feasts of the Lord, is that trusting in Christ? Not at all. He's already fulfilled that. That's why they're called the feasts of the Lord. Right? Somebody sent me a commentary, got it right here. I just read it, and then I saved it because I have to answer it tomorrow. A question. Okay, Charlie, I hear you talking about the Hebrew Roots Movement. And She sent me an uh, uh, email, and it was from somebody else, and they said, this is what we do in our church. In the very first sentence, she said, would you please analyze this and tell me if it is legalistic or not. I didn't even have to go past the first five words. The Jewish feasts are. They're not the Jewish feasts. The Bible never calls them the Jewish feasts. It never calls them the feasts of Israel. It calls them the feasts of, of the, the Lord. Lord. They are the Lord's feasts. They're not Jewish feasts. The Jews were to observe the feasts as typological picturings of the coming Christ. Every single word of every one of those feasts is fulfilled in Christ. Every word of it. If you haven't seen the eight feasts of the Lord sermons, go watch them. You'll see Christ on every single word. Sometimes, as Sergio said earlier, every letter. It is all about Jesus, and that's why when you see a commentary, and I said this last week and I said the week before that, but I'll say it again. If you see a commentary on the feasts of the Lord, and they're called the Jewish feasts or the feasts of Israel, don't even bother watching it or reading it. Just skip over it, because they have started with a wrong analysis from the very beginning. It has nothing to do with Israel, except that it was given to Israel to prefigure the coming of Christ. That's all it was for. They lived under that law, and he is the fulfillment of that law. So the, the first sentence, it had error, and then from there, it would just devolved. It was just, I hate to say it, but it was crazy theology. So she'll get her answer tomorrow. But We're doing something in Israel to show actually how it pictures the
1: Lord. That's so right. How
0: the Messianic Jews followed, not as an observance, but as how it, how it pictures it, the that's Lord. That's right. Same thing with the Sabbath. Same thing with, this is how these things picture the Lord. It's not that we want to ignore these things. That's why we've been in the law of Moses now for, what, 10 years? I mean, it's been at least 10 years. We started in Genesis 1. We're up to Deuteronomy chapter, uh, we're in chapter 9 right now. We'll be in uh, chapter 10 next Sunday. But I mean, it's taken us 10 years because we're going through every single thing that points to the coming of this wonderful Redeemer who did these things for us so that we don't have to be under the bondage that Israel was under, showing us how As I uh, asked my friend here earlier, I said, how many of the people from the Old Testament times, how many of them are still alive? (laughs) Other than Enoch, who was before the law, and Elijah, who was during the law, who were translated directly to heaven, the two uh, olive branches and the two uh, lampstands, the witnesses, other than those two people, they're all dead because they were all sinful people. And those two people are coming. Guess what they're going to do after they do their witnessing? They're going to be killed. They're going to die. Okay, the only people on this planet that will never die are the people that will be taken out at the rapture. That's a promise of God in Christ, and it's going to happen. We will never see death because we have already vicariously seen death in Christ. We've already experienced the death that came in Christ, and so we don't need to die again. Whoever, I'm saying we because I'm hoping it's us, but it may be another hundred years. Okay, whenever it is, we do not need to die again because we have died with Christ in our life, as Paul says, is hidden in Christ. Okay, so. Uh, The first displays a lack of trust in Christ. The second displays a complete trust in Christ. There is an absolute divide between the two, grace and the law. And it again shows that works and grace are mutually exclusive. Two trees in the Garden of Eden. What did that picture? The law and grace. Guess what? The grace is offered right in the last page of the Bible. The tree of life is there. Let me show you. Is the tree of the uh, knowledge of good and evil in the last page of the Bible absolutely not we've already been given that law here it is last page of the Bible hang on let me see here I'm there it is okay it says um, uh, verse 2 in the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life grace last verse of the Bible the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all amen okay The law and grace. It's all the way from the beginning to the end. It is God trying to wake us up how desperately we need to just trust him. Put aside our works. Put aside our own failed deeds before the Lord. The Tower of Babel, what did they do? They took clay. They made brick. And they mortared it with slime. Brick in the Bible, Levana, Levon, okay, is a picture of works. The word means white. It's a, it's, it's a picture of making brick because brick turns white when you fire it. They worked their way up to heaven trying to attain their state before God. Okay? And God rejected that. And what does he say when they build the temple? You shall not have an iron tool on the rocks that you bring when you bring them. Why? Because who made those stones? God did. It is his way to heaven. You can put them together. You can form them if you want, but you had no part in the making of this other than just putting it together. Like we're being put together as living stones in the temple of God. So law and grace. All the way through the Bible, you're going to see law and grace. And there's a million other pictures in the Tower of Babel as well. I mean, you talk about global warming. That's the Tower of Babel, Right? They're trying to save the world from the rising waters. Well, that's what they were doing. They went out into the plain of Shinar and they know that the flood just happened a short time earlier. So what were they doing? We're going to build a big submarine that stands up above the waters and the, the poor crummy people are going to be down at the bottom of this thing, but the rich people are going to be on the top of it and they're going to be above the flood waters if they ever come again, okay? But man is trying to do the same thing today that he was doing in the past. This is exactly the same thing. We are going to save ourselves through climate change you know and the rich people are the ones that are going to take care of all the poor little people they'll be down here but they'll be okay it doesn't work it didn't work then it's not gonna work now but that's you look at the the chiastic structure of it it's at the beginning and here we are at the end and we're seeing the same thing happen and eventually we're gonna get back to the tree of life you know look at when when was the devil introduced into scripture Genesis yeah, Genesis chapter 3 Where does he go out Third chapter from the end of Revelation. Everything is making this beautiful form, this beautiful picture of what God is doing. Okay. Go back to the same language through translation and technology. Oh, absolutely. That's why Google's translation company is called Babel. Babel. Everything repeats itself. Everything repeats itself. We're seeing the end of the ages coming. Okay. It's marvelous. God is so wonderful to allow us to see these things. Um, I'm getting way off the, the track today. Okay. Concerning the words by faith. According to Vincent's word studies, they are connected with the word wait rather than the phrase hope of righteousness. In other words, the thought is we, through the Spirit, eagerly wait by faith for the hope of righteousness. See that? they're connected to the word wait. Our hope is not in the law, excuse me, to grant us righteousness, but rather it is in the fact that the Spirit has acknowledged our faith. And our faith continues to be what we cling to, hopefully. Let's not go back under the law. Let's not abuse the grace of God in Christ. Remember our lesson from Galatians chapter 2. Who was it that came and abused the grace of God in Christ? The great apostle Peter. And Paul had to call him out openly in front of everybody. You are preaching, or you're not preaching, but you're living out heresy. You are deceiving people with your actions. And Peter, yes, you're right. He reneged on it in Acts chapter 15 he went down and he said it is by God's grace that we are here and we don't need this yoke anymore okay so the uh, our hope is not in the law to grant us righteousness but rather it is in the fact that the Spirit has acknowledged our faith and our faith continues to be what we can cling to the hope of righteousness is the object of our faith okay the hope of righteousness is the object of our faith okay um here we go life application the law cannot save anyone but the fulfillment of the law can everybody got that i'll say that again in the sermon in a completely different way the law cannot save anyone christ was already saved he never became unsaved so the law didn't save him but he came to fulfill the law and his fulfillment is imputed to us He vicariously did what we could not do, and that is imputed to us. His righteousness of the law is granted to us by a simple act of faith. The law cannot save anyone. Was it? Uh, Leviticus 18, verse 5. The man who does the things of the law will live by them. And no man lived by the deeds of the law, okay? Christ is not an exception. He never died in order to live. He lived, he had life in him. So he is the one that fulfilled the law for us, and then it is granted to us. What does that mean? Christ fulfilled the law, and thus by faith in his accomplished work, we have a sure and a grounded hope that we will stand before God. Praise God, having been declared righteous because of the work of Jesus. That's the book of Romans. If you don't know what I'm talking about, read Romans eight or nine times in a row without ever stopping. I told that to my friend Brian out in Arizona. He was here a couple months ago. And I said, if you're having trouble with the doctrines of the Bible, I'm talking about the the, the Christianity, the faith in Christ, that is the constitution of Christianity. Don't let anybody talk to you. Don't get sidetracked. Just sit down and read Romans eight or nine times in a row. Just meditate on it, think on it, and then the next day read it and read it a couple more times, and it will begin to. It, it's a hard book to understand. I mean, I'll tell you about the book of Romans. I've said this in this class, but it was a couple years ago. I wanted to be a Wycliffe Bible translator. You know that. And I went to Wycliffe and I uh, applied for it. And everything was set. We were ready to go off to the training in Texas to do this. And uh, yeah, he's from Texas. Uh, he's not from texas he's from here but he traded and went over to texas but he uh uh, i was going to go there first for training and then a couple other schools and my wife at the last moment we'd already gotten rid of our beautiful macaw he's up in bradenton now but anyway uh, she said i can't do this and it was like turning off light switch i wasn't disheartened i wasn't broken i said the lord gave me her first and she doesn't want to go we're not going to go and so we did not go okay but um, uh, it turned out for good, I think, because we ended up finally meeting Sergio and Rhoda and some of you, and we got a church, and, you know, it, was, it turned out okay, I guess. <laughs> but um, one of the things that I heard when I was at Wycliffe, and this is very hard to grasp unless you've studied other languages, but a girl, what they do is they go into a country and they normally do not do the translations. They, they might do, like, you know, the book that will get people saved, John, or something. They'll translate that, but eventually they get native speakers to do the translation. They will train them in English enough, and they'll be able to communicate enough where that person can now translate. And this is going to sound spooky, but if you know how languages work, you'll understand how possible this is. They had a girl, and I think it was in Papua New Guinea, maybe it was like the Philippines, somewhere in the the Far East, and uh, she was given the book of Romans to translate. And she translated the book of Romans from English into her language. And then she thought, well, I wonder how it is. And she sat down and she read the book of Romans. And she never understood righteousness by faith until she read it in her own language. Mm -hmm. But once she read that, the whole Bible opened up to her. So what I'm saying is read the book of Romans, and that is your foundation. That's why it's put first in the epistles, okay? And then you start getting into the other serious doctrines. Why is this church so screwed up five minutes after it's been organized? Well, there you go, 1 Corinthians, that'll tell you, okay? And then 2 Corinthians, how do you correct the other deficiencies which are in this church, which is still screwed up, okay? Everything is following a logical order in the Bible, but all of a sudden, you don't have just a church that's screwed up that loves Jesus, now you have a church that's turning away from Jesus. They're turning back to the law, and that's why this is Galatians is placed where it is and why the stress is there. Everything in this word is like, if you think of a spider's web, everything is so beautifully orchestrated so that spider can move around without any effort, and yet it knows where everything is. Now, I'm not trying to say that the Lord's word is a spider web, but I'm trying to say that the spider understands the web. God made this so that we can understand it. We can get theology out of it Just by its structure, just by the placement of things. Okay. So, um, uh, yeah, um, deeds of the law can't have it both ways. Okay. So, there you go. Um, I don't remember what the initial thought was, but you got the point about Romans. Romans is the book that you need to read to get that. And then just keep reading the New Testament. And the other book that I've recommended, the same thing read Romans. And if you want to understand the theology, of the Old Testament and how it points to Christ. Not the New Testament theology of what Christ fulfilled, but the Old Testament theology and how it points to Christ for the greater than you go to the book of Hebrews and read that eight or ten times in a row without reading anything else. Just read Hebrews again and again and again, and it will begin to mold your mind to what was going on back there and why Christ is so much better than Moses, better than the law, better than Aaron, better than the angels, on and on. He's greater than these things, but you don't grasp it unless you're meditating on it as you're reading. Just read it and read it and just keep letting it assimilate into you and you will understand that. And then from there, all of these other things make so much more sense. Romans is a especially important book to read to get that foundation that you need. Okay, um, uh, and as I said earlier, I said it last week to you all, I said it to Jared earlier, is that unless you have read this word and read it several times through, you are at the mercy of whoever is sitting in the pulpit or in the teacher's chair. You have no idea if they're telling you the truth or not. You cannot know unless you read this word yourself. It is impossible. I could have told Sergio anything I wanted the first day I met him and Rhoda's standing there next to him and they would have nodded their head unless they knew their word, okay? Fortunately, Sergio is just like, he's like uh, uh, the old uh, metaphor, the uh, ox in the uh, glass shop or whatever. I, I know I've abused bull that. But bull in the china shop, thank you. He's like that. He was standing there and he was literally almost attacking me. I'm walking out. There's 400 people in this uh, this church I was preaching at and I'm walking out and I get out there and he said, "What do you mean by?" It? What he he was literally almost attacking me because he wanted to know. But I could have. If I was intending to deceive him, I could have said, "Well, you, you know, you have to do this" and he would have had no idea if he didn't know the word. Isn't that right? You would have had no idea. So I could have made up anything. If you don't know the word of God, you cannot defend against somebody that is telling you something wrong. You must read this word yourself. You do not trust Charlie. I knew the word of God. I thought. Well, that's why. Verse here. Verse there. there. Sermon here. Sermon there. Chapter here. Chapter there. And it doesn't work. It does not work. So, and now this guy, since August of what year? 2011. He has read the Bible every single day without fail every day. This is the first thing you do when you wake up. This is what you do during the day is think on what you've read. And then this is what you do before you go to bed. And it does not, I'm going to tell you, this does not work, okay? (laughs) That does not work. You cannot put it on your head and assimilate its contents. All right. But I do know people that will turn on the Bible and fall asleep to the Bible. Man, I bet you you're assimilating it all night long. I bet you you are. I don't know that. Don't quote me on that. But you know what? As long as the word is in your life, let it dwell in you, as Paul says. Richly, let it dwell in you richly. Okay, we got to go to five six. Um, five six. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but faith working through love. It doesn't matter if you're circumcised. It doesn't matter if. And he's speaking to these people that want to be circumcised. That's why he is saying these things. Okay, circumcision avails nothing. Okay as I, uh, I said here, uh, I think it was three weeks ago, circumcision is a sign. It's not the thing in and of, it was during a sermon, that's when it was. It is not the thing itself, okay? It is pointing to something else. What people will do when they're circumcised is to say, see, this is the seal of my righteousness. That's not what it is. It is the picture of righteousness of God in Christ, because Christ is the one that came who did not inherit uh, what do you call it? Um, uh, original sin. Okay. The picture was fulfilled in him. The cutting of the human organ, the male organ is saying the transmission of sin is going to be cut in him. That's why he has a human mother, but no human father. Okay. It is not the thing in and of itself. It is pointing to the thing, the God man. Okay. I hate to even use the word thing when talking about God, but, um, it's pointing to the person. Of Jesus Christ. Okay, so circumcision avails nothing. Paul has used circumcision as the benchmark for his argument against pursuing deeds of the law. We saw that last week as well. If a person was not circumcised, he was excluded from the covenant people. That was the first thing that they needed to know. Are you circumcised? No? Well, then you're not of the covenant people. Okay, and Paul uses that in Romans chapter 2 against the Jews. He says, let me read it to you so you know what I'm talking about. uses it against himself and any other Jews because he includes himself in this. Uh, Let me see if I can find it very quickly. It's towards the end of chapter 2. And he says, um, yeah, right here. um, And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you, speaking to the Jew, even uh, with your written code and circumcision, are a transgressor of the law. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor circumcision that which was outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart and in the spirit. Not in the letter, whose praise is from, not from men, but from God. Now, what he's saying there is that, yes, as a Jew, you have to be circumcised. That's a given. You can't be a Jew without it. But just because you're circumcised does not mean that you are a true Jew. Moses spoke about it in the law of Moses. He says in the the law itself, you must be circumcised in your heart. Jeremiah picks up on that and he says you must be circumcised in your heart. It says it again and again. Paul speaks of the circumcision of the heart. If you are circumcised in the flesh and you're not circumcised in the heart, then you're not a true Jew. Christians, I'm talking about the you know replacement theologians take that to an extreme and they say, "See, we're circumcised in the heart. RC Sproul did this. We're circumcised in the heart, so we are the Jews." That's a category mistake. We are not Jews. You have to be circumcised in the flesh to be a Jew and in the heart. And what Paul is doing is he's making a pun, because the word Jew comes from Judah. Judah Judah means Praise. praise. Read it again. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is of the heart, in the spirit. Not in the letter whose praise Jew is not from men, but from God. He's making a pun. Your praise isn't coming from your circumcision. It comes from your heart attitude towards your creator. That's what he's saying, okay? So, uh, when you see these puns, you know, when Jesus went to Zacchaeus' house, what did he say to the people? Salvation has come to this house. His name is Salvation, Yeshua. Mm -hmm. Salvation is here, okay? He's making a pun. Pay attention to the puns because they go all the way through the Bible. And once you get them, you say, I get it. Okay? All right. So, um, uh, where was I? Paul used circumcision as the benchmark. Because of this, uh, it stands as representative of the entire law for Paul's discourse. If you're not circumcised, okay, uh, then—oh, I skipped over a whole sentence. It didn't matter if he did everything else the law required. If he weren't circumcised, then he would not be counted as a part of the congregation. You got the Jew, and he's not circumcised, right? Doesn't make any difference. He's not a Jew. He's not even allowed. But if he is in the congregation and he's a Jew, it didn't matter if he did everything else the law required. Charlie Garrett is not a Jew, but I do everything else that the law requires. I'd never be a Jew, right? It's not going to happen, okay? Because of this, it stands as representative of the entire law for Paul's discourse. Circumcision is what he is using as representative of the law. That is his benchmark, okay? What he tells the Galatians now is that this main tenet, circumcision, upon which everything else followed. Everything in the life of the Jew followed from that. No longer mattered at all. The word for explains the words of the previous verse, which said, through the Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. Okay? Through the Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. The Spirit is contrasted now with the flesh by saying that in Christ Jesus Neither circumcision nor circumcision avails anything. He's making a complete contrast between the two. Doesn't matter if you're a Gentile that observes the law or you're a Jew, a circumcised Jew that observes the law. If your heart isn't right with the Lord, it doesn't make any difference. Nothing makes any difference without being right with God in your heart, okay? The division is complete. In Christ, circumcision or the lack of it has no bearing at all. If this is so, then any observance of the law also has no bearing at all. He's using circumcision as the benchmark, but he could have just as easily said, observing feasts of the Lord. He could have said, if you don't have a tassel on your garment with a blue string in it, he could have used any precept of the law because the law is one codified body. It is one whole. So it doesn't matter what precept he said, if you don't observe that precept, you are out well, circumcision is the one that you had to have in order to be a Jew in the first place. So he uses that so everybody can see the simplicity of the argument, okay? The law is one unified whole. It cannot be considered the law if any part of it is overlooked or if any part of it is discarded. Thus, with the setting aside of circumcision, the entire law is set aside, as it says in Hebrews 7.18, 8.13, and 10.9, the law is annulled, it is set aside, it is obsolete. Colossians 2.14, it is nailed to the cross. Okay, so, read it again. It cannot be considered the law if any part of the law is overlooked or disregarded. Thus, with the setting aside of circumcision, the entire law is set aside. Why is this so hard for people to understand? The answer is that's my question in here to the reader. But the answer is because people don't read their Bible. They trust in their teacher to tell them what to do. They trust that this person is a great orator. John Hagee out in Texas? I'm sorry, I don't care how good of an orator you are. If you preach dual covenant the- theology, you are a heretic. And that's what he does. You can be saved through the law of Moses. He teaches that explicitly he also said that jesus never claimed to be the messiah imagine that go on youtube you can watch him promote his book jesus never claimed to be the messiah he's the greatest orator i have ever heard and he's the biggest heretic i've ever listened to i'm telling you i would never listen to that man ever he teaches that jews are saved apart from the law from grace in christ and he is condemning those people to hell he's literally condemning them by telling them you don't need jesus as long as you observe the law can you imagine that mm-hmm. I'm not one to pick on other preachers I don't you know I love R.C. Sproul and I hate him at the same time because he he had really good doctrine in some areas and bad in another and so when Jim Dwyer went up to see him in uh, Sanford one year I said when you go to see him give him a hug for me and then punch him in the head ah. because you know he's but when it comes to somebody like John Hagee I've got nothing good to say about him because he does not handle the word properly and he's consigning people to hell by telling them that they can be saved apart from the law that is the reason why is it so hard for people to understand is because people trust people people trust people they don't trust the word of god my only desire in this church is that people will read the word of god they watch the sermons all the better i love the sermons and i hope that they bless people i got an email this past week somebody finished the genesis sermons i'll mention them on sunday and another person just today said i finally made it through all the exodus sermons and The person from the Exodus sermons is somebody that's in South Africa and they've been locked down since March, I think she said. They haven't been able to go anywhere and she says every single day me and my dogs watch one of your sermons. I don't think the dogs benefit from it, but maybe they like my beard. But that blesses my heart because she's in the word of God and we're going line by line and every single word is being explained, okay? So I'm glad about that, but I hope that she is also reading the word all by herself without getting into the Bible because if she doesn't know the word... I may be telling her something that's not correct. Okay? Instead of circumcision availing anything, Paul says that it is rather faith working through love, which has practical power. Vincent's Word Studies notes that the word working, being in the middle voice, does not mean faith which is wrought by love. It is not passive. In other words, as the pulpit commentary says, it does not mean faith through love doing works of beneficence, which is what the Methodist Church will try to get you to do, but faith evincing its vitality and power through the love which it begets in us. The faith leads to the works, not the other way around. They continue by saying, love is not contemplated as a separate acting of the spirit added on to faith as it were by an extrinsic effort of the soul, but as a product of faith itself by which faith exerts its own internal energy if you want to know what to do in the world read your bible and do it okay but it is the faith that comes by belief in jesus christ the sealing of the spirit that should prompt you to want to do the good things out there you don't want to do good things in order to please god you want to do those good things because god is pleased with you he has given you his grace that's what you need to remember why is this important Because if doing things produced faith, then we would be following the same principles as that of the Roman Catholic doctrine. We could claim by doing things that we have earned our faith. This is not at all the case. Just go read the book of Hebrews chapter 11, where it says, by faith, this person did this. By faith, this person did this. And then James uses the verses that the Roman Catholic Church uses, saying, see, you have to have works in order to prove your faith. Okay, When they've excluded the fact that it already said, by faith, this person did this. The faith precedes the works, not the other way around, okay? And if faith was what produced, I'm sorry, if works is what produced faith, guess who would have the most faith of anybody on this planet today? Bill Gates. He's out there giving a lot of money to AIDS research, right? He's giving all this money to here and there, and he's buying his way to heaven. He would have more faith than anybody on this planet, but it doesn't work that way. You have to have the faith in order to be pleasing to God, and then your works should stem out of that. Not naturally, because none of us naturally do things. I don't care what anybody says about, oh, works demonstrate that you are saved. No, they don't. I know a lot of saved people that don't do anything for the Lord. That's between them and the Lord, okay? We could claim that by doing things we have earned our faith it's not the case it is clear that paul was struggling with presenting precise and exacting words which could clearly show us what it means to have faith working through love our love of god and what he has done for us through the giving of christ is what impels our faith forward that's what it should be okay this is something that circumcision will never do obedience to the law will never do It is when you realize the depravity of the place that you were in and the glory of what Christ brought you into, and you're willing to pursue that, that you will demonstrate pleasing works for God. They all have to be based on faith. I don't care what you do. If it is not based on faith, you will not get credit for it. And no matter how small it is, if it's based on faith, you will get credit for it. You could say a person lying in bed will get no credit from God. Okay, that's not true. I know a woman that was unable to leave her bed. I read the story. I don't know her personally. And what did she do? All day long, she had pictures of people all over the world. And all day long, she would pray for those people. That's a person of faith, lying there, unable to do any works at all for any person at all. And yet she has faith. Hang on, I I need to do something here. Um, Good evening. I see we've got, uh, I see we've got, well, you know, it's the last, um, it's the last sunday that we're going to meet this year and the reason why is because um uh, next week is uh christmas eve so don't be here next thursday we're not going to be here okay and then the week after that is going to be new year's eve so we're not going to be here for two weeks and so we're having a pizza party well everybody else is going to have to just you know they can smell it. Here, you guys smell it's it. The best anyway, best pizza in the world. In the world. Oh, yeah, good yeah. stuff. Okay, place that down right there. No, not at all. Just place it there, and we'll eat that Put it in a minute. On the Bible? Yeah, yeah, just yeah, just that's, really? no. Those are hymns, hymnals. <laughs> Don't worry, you won't hurt the hymnals. <laughs> it's probably, yeah. Yeah, here, take that no. for. No, that's for your effort no. walking. Where's your pocket? Uh, Put that I'm in. Hand. Okay, I'm listen. I'm turn around. Let him see you again. This is the best pizza man in the whole world. All right. All right. Have a wonderful Merry Christmas. Christmas All right, take care. All right, we got to finish this up. That smells really good, and we're going to finish, and we're going to be done. Um, Oh, and we're at the life application, so guess what? All we have to do is read that, say a prayer, and eat. Um, Okay, um, life application. Do you have faith in the promises of God at all times? Does your faith weaken at times? I know mine does all the time. I get into these valleys, and my friend out in California said, I'm out of my valley. He's been in one for a while. He's been in a real rut. Praise God. He's out of his valley. Okay. If so, then go back to the beginning and contemplate what Jesus Christ did for you. there are on Calvary's cross. That should spur your faith back up to optimum levels of love. Okay. Let me uh, make a circle right here. I did not put this thing that Burke gave me in my lap, and that's why I've been having such a tough time balancing everything today. Okay, we got that, we got this, and we're going to say a prayer, and then I'm sorry, people online, I know this is a short class, but we we do have the last um, time that we'll be meeting together this year, and so we might as well do it over some food. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this pizza, we ask that you bless it, and that uh, it'll uh, be nourishing to us, and we thank you for the wonderful blessing that Sergio and Rhoda have been finally approved after Mm. all of this time for their uh, green card we thank you that jim is doing so much better and we ask that you just give him wisdom to not climb up ladders with chainsaws anymore Mm -hmm. and uh that he will uh hire somebody to do those jobs which need to be done we thank you for linda who's been very patient with him uh during this time of uh broken bones and healing and uh lord we also pray for anybody that's afflicted that has a pain or a Mm -hmm. sorrow or a financial trouble or whatever is bringing them down that you would be with them and let them know that you are there with them and help them to get into your word and to realize that all the more. Lord, we thank you for this precious word, this gift, this jewel which you have given us. We ask that you uh, just instill it in our hearts to want to seek it every day of our life because it reveals Jesus and he reveals you. So we pray this to your glory and we pray it in his name. Amen. Amen. Okay, let me back this up and we'll say goodbye to the folks online.